Mark chapter 11, verse 12 in the New King James Version says this, Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. I just want to pause and tell you that that, I kind of like that detail. If you ever struggle with Jesus being fully human, he was hungry. He was hungry. Is anybody hungry right now? All right, I'm going to hurry up. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, he talked to the tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. So there's, there's three things happening there in that verse. There's those who bought and sold, uh, those who changed money, and those who sold doves. He drove them all out, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Verse 20 says, Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. You may be seated. Sometimes on a night like this, I will hold back the main point and kind of get to it later, but I'm going to just let it fly right here at the beginning. I believe that the message of this passage that we just read together that appears to us in three episodes, the message is this, unfruitfulness is unacceptable. Unfruitfulness is unacceptable. The day that we read about here in the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter, happens to take place in mid-April. We know that because Jesus, if you look at the context, Jesus has just rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. We call it Palm Sunday. That event has just taken place. These events that we read about are taking place in the very last week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. And so we know, based on the calendar and when these events took place, that this day took place in about mid-April. And Jesus and his disciples are making their journey toward Jerusalem. They're going through the land, and they pass through a city called Bethany. Bethany was a town that was nicknamed House of Figs, House of Figs. That's what Bethany was known for. And Jesus, on his way, you read in this story, masterfully paints a picture of a message that he definitely wanted to get across to his disciples. And it's for his disciples of that day and for his disciples today as well. It says, seeing afar off, he saw a fig tree that had leaves on it, and he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. Presumably, he's looking for figs. And when he came to it, he found nothing on it but leaves, 
for it was not the season for figs. And in response to it, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. So there's a few key details that I want us to notice what happened. Number one, there's a fig tree. Number two, the fig tree had leaves. Number three, the fig tree had leaves before it was not the season for figs to become ripened. So I want to comment on each of those because it's like we talked about in our Bible study methods that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's one thing to understand what a fig tree is. I understand what a fig tree is. You understand that what a fig tree is and how fruit has, is seasonal and we understand those things. But you almost have to take yourself back in time and start picking up on some of the things that they were familiar with back then. A fig tree was pretty symbolic to those people uh, back then. Uh, I would say it's probably kind of symbolic to us today. I, I'm not going to go and build a doctrine off of it, but some have speculated that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden may have been a fig tree. We've seen it depicted as an apple tree. Some say that it may have been a fig tree, and the evidence that they draw on is that when Adam and Eve sought to cover up their nakedness, they did so with fig leaves. It's not concrete. It's speculative, but you can make a little bit of a case uh, for it. The second thing that we can look at is that this was a fig tree that had leaves on it. It was in full leaf. And when a fruit tree is in full leaf, it's not unreasonable to walk up to it and expect some fruit, Brother Anderson. Has anybody ever had a fruit tree in their yard? Okay, when I was growing up, we had a couple apple trees in our yard. And whenever you would walk up to these apple trees, if, Sister Gina, if they were in full leaf, the expectation was reasonable that you're going to find something. It might not be the season for apples. It might not be that you get fully formed apples. But there's a chance that you're going to be able to walk up and see some fruit and maybe find one piece of fruit that maybe you can pick that is just early in the season. It's not unreasonable. And so Jesus walks up and he sees this fig tree that's full of leaves and he approaches it expecting, hoping, he was hungry, hoping to find a piece of fruit to eat. But when he got up to it, he found that there was no fruit. There was only leaves. And upon closer inspection, uh, he, he saw that there wasn't even a little bit of fruit. There was absolutely no fruit. It's a classic case of the closer you get, the more disappointed you become. Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody ever experienced that with a person? Okay. You can see we're not entire, we're talking about fig trees, but we're kind of not talking about fig trees. Okay? Everyone tracking along with me? It's not fig season. Mid-April's not fig season, and this has been tough for people because some people, myself included, the first time I read this, I can, the first time I really read it, Brother Walker, first time I really read it, I thought to myself, oh, this is a little unfair. It's not even fig season. This seems kind of harsh, you know? Like, that's my first reaction. And it's been tough for people ever since to understand exactly what's going on here. Why would Jesus go to this fig tree looking for fruit when it wasn't season? It was mid-April, and usually the figs ripened in late May or early June. I didn't know that. I had to look it up. I just want you to know. 
I'm not, I don't know that much about figs. But that's what you have to do when you're, when you're studying the Bible. If, if, it's, if it says that figs are not in season in mid-April, Brother Berg, I want to know when figs are in season. Maybe no one else, I mean, maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the most curious person here, but I kind of, I just wanted to know, like, okay, are we talking like, is it six months away from fig season or is it close? I just kind of want to know because I have no idea about this stuff. Jesus walks up in mid-April. Figs usually ripened in late May, early July, or early June, and Jesus sees this fig tree that's covered in leaves, and he has a right to suppose that there would be some figs on it. Uh, sometimes the figs would ripen a little bit early, depending on the season. And here's the message. Even though it was not in season, Jesus saw the conditions for fruit, which was the leaf. He knew it was close to being the time of year. He knew that this fig tree was looking healthy on the outside, that this fig tree, by all accounts, visibly had full leaf. And these were the conditions for fruit. And Jesus walked up, and this was the beginning of how he started to convey a message, a very important message to his disciples, that unfruitfulness is unacceptable. And Jesus lived in a time, and the world is covered in darkness, covered in worldliness and wickedness. But the Jewish nation of Israel uh, had a covenant with God. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the law. They had their heritage in Abraham. They had a revelation of who God was. They have knowledge of the covenant with God. They have a special type of relationship with God that has been passed down through the generations, through the ages, and they have Israel, like this fig tree, has all the conditions for fruit. You understand where we're driving at now? They have all the conditions for fruitfulness. Israel has the health. Israel has the revelation of who God is. Israel has the leaf. Israel has the covenant with God, the special holy relationship with the one true and living God. But when Jesus comes to Israel, isn't that what this story is all about? When the Messiah shows up on the scene, the one that has been prophesied about, the one that they have waited for, when he actually shows up on the scene, he found the condition of leaves, but no fruit. God came to his people, and they were destitute of fruit. They were faithless, they were unbelieving, they didn't recognize him when he was there. And the fig tree in this story is applicable to God's people back then, and it can be applicable to God's people today. Because if we are not careful, we too can fall into the same trap that Israel fell into when they professed one thing and their life produced another thing. To profess one thing, but to produce another thing is an abomination to God. It's unacceptable to God to have all the conditions right for fruitfulness and growth, but to bear no fruit. Jesus curses that kind of behavior. It's a stench to God. Unfruitfulness is unacceptable. And it's at this point, once Jesus has this interaction with this tree, Brother Daryl, that the story picks up, and they just keep on going. It says that Jesus talked to this tree, which I find funny. He talked to this tree, and it says that his disciples heard it. And then they keep on going. He's still hungry at this point. They get to Jerusalem, and he walks into the temple. 
and Act 2 begins. And he starts driving out the people doing business in the temple. He starts driving out the money changers. He starts driving out everybody that is doing nonsense in the temple of God. And nobody has ever had more of a right to clean house than Jesus did that day. Because God has a prerogative over those matters. That is God's house. And so when Jesus arrived on the scene and he saw what was going on all around him, no one has ever been more within their rights than Jesus was that day when he walked into the temple. Now, we read this passage a lot. How many have, how many have heard this story about Jesus in the temple before? Is this, this, is, this is, I don't think this is new information, new territory to most. Sometimes we can read this story, or maybe you've even seen something online, or you've heard someone make a comment, maybe you've even yourself made a comment, and you've thought that Jesus gets into the temple, and he just loses control. He just, like, has an emotional outburst, right? Anybody ever heard that suggested, that, like, Jesus just kind of flies off the handle, and, and you'll even hear people say, well, you know, Jesus, even Jesus flipped tables, you know, like even Jesus, you know, and, it, and it's, I, I don't know where that came from, but it, it sounds to me like usually, usually it's some, usually it, it, it smells to me like our human way of trying to justify having a bad day. Yeah, right. You know, like we read that kind of stuff into it, right. And we think, ah, you know. Jesus had an emotional outburst, so, you know, I'm entitled to one every once in a while. You know, even Jesus got a little bit fired up and flipped tables. You know what I don't, here, here's the difference. For the Cade, here's the difference. When I lose control and I kind of like have an emotional mo outburst moment and I just kind of fly off the handle, okay? After the fact, Brother Anderson, I feel remorseful and I have to go apologize. I don't see Jesus ever get remorseful about this, and I don't see Jesus ever apologize about this. You know why? Because he wasn't wrong. It wasn't an emotional outburst. It, Jesus did not lose his grip for 10 minutes when he walked in. This was calculated. Jesus walked in, and it wasn't acceptable. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. And so he started driving all of that nonsense out. And to suggest otherwise, to suggest that Jesus had an emotional, out-of-control outburst, or that Jesus had a bad day, is just poor interpretation. You need to reject that kind of stuff. That stuff, it messes with your view of what's going on here. If that's the view you try to take in a passage like this, you're going to miss the message. The message is not, I guess I'm, you know, I'm entitled to having a little bit of an outburst every once in a while. If Jesus himself found himself flipping tables and whipping on people and stuff. Brothers and sisters, that is not the message. That is not the message. Now, I'm going to pause here before I say anything else, and I want to tell you that if you are looking for something to study out in some more detail, I could spend another hour talking about exactly what was going on in the temple that day. I'm not going to because you guys said that you're hungry. 
and I don't want to get on your bad side. But what you could do is, a very good study to do, is to, is to look at the second temple period. This was the, the second temple. And to say, what was the layout like? Where exactly in the temple did this happen? What exactly are the practices that Jesus frowned upon? Like we see, like, there was people selling doves. There was people changing money. Let me talk about the money changers, just to give you a little snapshot of what was going on. There was, it basically turned into a culture of convenience is what had happened. It turned into a culture of convenience. Um, that's a very dangerous place to be. Most sin is an act of convenience. Convenience is not always a good thing. And so uh, the money changers, when you came to temple, you had to have sacrifice. You had to have, and, and, and some people, not everyone, raised goats or, you know, whatever they needed. And so people would come to temple, and they would have to purchase. And a lot of them, a lot of people would be pilgrims, and they would come from way far off. They'd be on a pilgrimage, and they'd come to the temple, and they would want to worship. They would even come from Gentile nations. There was a Gentile court of the temple. And they would come, and they would have to. But if you've ever, has anyone ever been to a foreign country? You've been to a foreign country? Have you ever had to change your money over? Okay. Yeah. Some of that had to take place because they would come and they would have the currency of wherever they came from and they would have to change their money over so that they could pay in the coin of the temple so that they could pay for their and, 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 and kind of get on with things. And so in a sense, this money changers, it was kind of a necessary thing, but there was a culture in the temple that had developed because it wasn't just the money changers. It was those that sold doves. It was the other, it was all these things going on and together collectively it was abhorrent to God, and he had to drive it out. Jesus drove them out and cleaned house. And the money changers, uh, it, it, the whole thing looked more like a religious racket is what it turned out to be. It was, it was a mess. It was, it was not fixable. It just had to be driven out entirely. And Jesus, in that moment, his indignation rose up. And he drove out those who were conducting business in the temple, and he set the house in order. Here's what had happened. The people that were tolerating that and the people that were conducting the business, they had made peace with unfruitfulness. There was really nothing of spiritual value taking place in the temple at that moment. It was all about the transactions that were taking place and the religious system that was in its place. There was no real spiritual fruit. There was nothing that was truly pleasing to God that was happening in the temple. And what had happened is they had made peace with unfruitfulness. And instead of fruitfulness, they were content with profit. And Jesus wouldn't stand for it. You see how the story between the story of the fig tree and this story in the temple are both tied together because of the unfruitfulness? Jesus wouldn't tolerate it. It was unacceptable. It was unacceptable that the fig tree would be in full leaf and be showing that there might be fruit, that there should be fruit underneath those leaves, and there was none. And so he cursed it. It was unacceptable that Jesus went to God's house where the worship of God, where the prayer to God should be taking place, where there should have been sacrifices offered up daily. All of those things should have been happening in the temple. 
And Jesus looked behind the leaves and started to see what was actually happening in the temple. And there was no spiritual fruit to be found. And it was unacceptable. And so just like he cursed that fig tree, Jesus drove out those money changers and those that were doing business. And this is the great danger of people who serve God and who would be called the people of God. This is the great danger that we would make peace with unfruitfulness. I want to talk to someone tonight. If you've made peace with not advancing in your relationship with God, brother and sister, that is a dangerous place to be. You are going to find yourself on the wrong end of God's judgment. Don't make peace with unfruitfulness. God has given you everything that you need to be fruitful. God has given you everything you need in this hour. You have the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have a church family. You have, even in this country, religious freedom and freedom of expression. There is nothing holding you back from growing in your relationship with God. And if you've made peace with unfruitfulness, you are cruising towards a judgment day and a curse that, brother, you want nothing to be a part of. You don't want anything to do with it. It's the great danger of being a person of God is that we can fall into the formality of religion and make peace with unfruitfulness. And as dramatic as this inner layer of the story, the middle of this sandwich is, when we see Jesus chasing people out of the temple and cleaning house in a pretty dramatic fashion, as as, as much as we are drawn to the middle of this story, there's something about the outside layer of this story with that fig tree that really teaches us the real lesson. Sometimes when we see a real life event that happens with human beings just like us, like happens in the temple, we read it, there's a little bit of entertainment about it, we like to picture it, it's like, whoa, that's like, I wish I could have been there that day. And sometimes we can miss the message and we can almost, you know, we can say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like those people. But whenever Jesus starts painting the picture for us, not of other people, but of a tree, something about another living creature, something else, a creature that has life to it, being cursed and dying, and it did nothing wrong, something about that just arrests our attention a little bit differently and helps us understand the point that Jesus is making. In the most literal sense possible, Jesus was looking for fruit, and he found none, and he cursed this tree, and he made that a point to his disciples because it says the disciples heard it. Heard it. He made the point to his disciples. On the week before he would go to Calvary, he's teaching them a series of final lessons, and this is one of them, that unfruitfulness is unacceptable. Jesus goes by the fig tree, and then he goes by the temple, and stirs everybody up. And it's been an eventful day, to say the least. There was a lot of eventful days when you follow Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples, they leave the city after he's driven people out of the temple. They leave the city, and they get a night's sleep. And they wake up the next day, and Act 3 begins. It says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. The fig tree withered up from the roots. 
And it wasn't just a power play by Jesus. Jesus can calm the storm. Jesus can have all of, he can, he can tell the wind to lay down. He can do all of these different things with nature. And certainly he can curse a tree and cause it to wither up. But it wasn't just so that they could understand that Jesus had power over the trees. It wasn't just Jesus saying, look what I can do. But it was a powerful symbolic action of what they had just seen take place in Jerusalem. It was a deep spiritual lesson for anybody that will have ears to hear it. And the message is this, bear fruit or be lost. Bear fruit or be lost. And God is still looking today. Hear me. God is still looking today. If we were to imagine each one of us as a tree, God is looking at our lives and he is looking to see who has fruit and who just has leaves. He's still looking. He's still looking for spiritual fruit among the leaves of revelation and religion. And his lesson rings down through the ages to us today that unfruitfulness is unacceptable. And may the church of today never fall into the same trap that Israel fell into back then. The prophet Isaiah, in another generation, he diagnosed the spiritual condition that Israel was in. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, they have removed their hearts far from me. That is the condition that Jesus found Israel in when the Messiah showed up on the scene. That is the the condition that is represented by the fig tree that Jesus walked up to in Bethany and looked at the leaves and saw no fruit. That was the condition that they were in. And Israel's unfruitfulness costed them their special privileged position with God. I know that because Matthew chapter 21, I, I don't want you to just that, I, I made a big statement just there that Israel that costed Israel something. I want to show you what it costed them. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, he told them, another, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers who, and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants and beat one and killed one and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took the son and they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And they said to Jesus, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. And they were right. Israel had a very historically unique opportunity 
because they had the prophecies and the revelation and the knowledge and the covenant with the one true God and that he was going to incarnate himself and come in the form of a human being and be their savior and the savior of the whole world. And when he showed up, exactly like the parable says, when the owner sent his son, they killed him. They rejected him. And just like the parable says, the owner removed the lease, punished those that had done that, and gave the lease over to another group that was going to do something with it and be fruitful. And the message I have for you today is not a Bible lesson about Israel and not a Bible lesson about the seasonality of figs and fig trees in ancient Israel. But the lesson I have and the message I have for you tonight is that the master has leased his vineyard to you. The master has leased his vineyard to you. And we know something about the owner's expectation of fruitfulness. And we must be very serious about making sure that what our life is producing matches what our mouth is pro professing. Because if we fail this test, we will meet the same fate as the money changers that he drove out of the temple. We will meet the same fate as the fig tree that he cursed and it withered up and dried up by the roots. And we will meet the fa same fate that those who rejected him that during that time in Israel, they rejected him and they were punished as well. God withdrew from them and God moved on to those who were serious about fruitfulness. We are the tree. We are the tree that must produce fruit. And if we, are, we will stay connected to him and be serious about staying connected to him, we will produce fruit. And this is a bold message. It's the message that Jesus preached to them, but it's a message that's for today. And here's the plea that the Lord left his church with. The musicians would come. You know Jesus wrote a letter. Do you know that? Jesus wrote a letter to the church. He wrote seven of them. They're in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Jesus dictated these letters to John, and John was to send them out to these seven regional churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, is the seventh and final letter that Jesus dictated to his apostle, the message to the church in a place called Laodicea. And it says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. 
As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This entire transaction that we've looked at in Mark chapter 11 is a picture of spiritual things. It's a message for us today that unfruitfulness is unacceptable. If you would stand with me tonight. This was the only time that Jesus ever cursed anything, that Jesus ever destroyed anything. This was it. This was unique. Beware of making peace with unfruitfulness. This will pronounce judgment on the tree of your life. You know what? If you'll read a little further into Mark chapter 11, the very next few verses, you'll find that the conversation doesn't end where we stopped reading a minute ago. But after Peter, on the road back to Bethany, pointed and said, Rabbi, look! That fig tree that you cursed, it's been dried up by the roots. There's nothing left of it, Jesus. Look at it, it's all withered up. It prompted a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples that day. It was a conversation about how to stay connected to him. Because staying connected to him means that we can bear fruit. You know what Jesus started to teach him about? After Peter shouted and pointed at the tree, Jesus started to teach him about prayer. Everything Jesus did with that tree, Everything Jesus did by driving the money changers up. It may have been the next day, Brother Walker. The money changers may have come back the next day. I don't know. Jesus leading them back on the same road toward Bethany so that they could see that tree, Brother Floyd, that he had cursed the day before. Everything that Jesus had done was calculated in order to get them to notice something, to understand something that I pray that you've understood tonight. That we must be connected to him. Jesus did all of that in anticipation of being able to teach them about prayer and teach them, guys, I'm fixing to leave. I'm fixing to not be with you anymore. This prayer stuff I've been talking to you about, it's important. You have to pray because prayer is the key to fruitfulness. Being connected to me, staying connected to me is what's going to keep you acceptable in my sight. I want to have a close relationship with God. I don't want to be driven away from His presence. I don't want to be cursed like that fig tree. I don't want to have the leaves and no fruit. I want to be the real thing. Underneath all of the trappings of my life, all the appearances, all the things that the public sees, I want there to be a personal and private devotion with God that's real. That's what I want. I'm hungry for it. I don't need all the stuff that comes along with being religious. I just want him. I just want him. 
I know you feel the same way. Can we lift our hands in this place right now? And can we come up around these altars and just respond to the word of the Lord and say, God, I know that you're standing at the door right now. Come on, Jesus says to you what he said to that church in Laodicea right now. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. Come on, this is about being connected to the Father. This is about being connected to God and saying, God, I'm not going to have all the exterior stuff. I'm not going to have all the leaves. I'm not going to have all the things that look like they've got it together and have nothing behind the leaves and nothing going on on the inside. But Lord, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to let that prayer probe my heart. I'm going to let some seeds be dropped into my spirit during prayer time. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Will anyone open the door tonight? Would anybody open the door tonight? Would someone say, you know what, I've been a little cold. I've been a little lukewarm, but it's time to open the door. He's knocking. He's knocking right now. He's knocking right now.